Welcome to The Trauma Tales, a production of Third Star Media and Shanna White Psychology. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics, including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma and suicide. If you don't think that you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath and come back another day. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and the elders in all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and am committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit. But what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma and highlight its impacts and, most importantly, to help those who live through trauma to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults. I try to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot. And now, you will too. I'd really like to welcome Joe to the podcast today. Hey Joe, how are you going? I'm well, thanks, Shan. How are you? I'm really good, hun. So let's just jump straight in. Tell us a little bit about um, a time in your life where you experienced trauma. Um, my mother was quite abusive emotionally, um, mentally, but Mostly I wanted to talk today about a time in my life when my stepfather decided that um, we were going to have a relationship that extended beyond what father-daughter relationship should have, should be. Yeah. And for about three and a half years, um, I suffered quite badly uh, with his physical abuse and um, he also abused me sexually. Mm. So it was really difficult, obviously, living in a family house and um, everyone else is very happy and um, they loved him and I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. I couldn't bring myself to say, Tim is abusing me. And um, I just sort of lived with it to the point where I then ran away and started living with my boyfriend, who was only, what, 16 at the time, because I was, what, 13. Um, yeah, sorry, I was gonna, shit. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was, that's okay. I was going to ask how, how old were you? So this, is, this was your stepfather? Yes, my stepfather. 
and I was 11 when things started. Okay. Um, How long had he and your mum been together? A year. Oh. Yes. Uh, our other stepfather before him um, had only left about two years previously, but it was very violent and she had mourned only for about six months and then we had she had been looking for ways to make money. The farm, We were living at uh, three and a half thousand acres, so mm-hmm. we were very isolated, and the farm wasn't making any money with cows. There was a drought; things weren't going well, and so she sought help from um, firewood seller. Came out and looked at the at the property um, to see if he could chop down the dead trees and cut them up into firewood, and then take them back to Toowoomba. He was based in, oh, and right. he would yep. sell the firewood. I see. Um, he decided that it was a good location and he offered mum a regular income. He said that he would be there for at least 12 months, uh, cutting the trees out of where she wanted them cut. And he bought his son to live on the property. He bought a caravan, he set it up. And so his son would cut the trees down and chop them up. And then when his dad came back, they would load up like a little tiny truck and then drive it out to where the big truck was and then they would drive the big truck back to Toowoomba. Right. And son was Tim and mum and he had begun a relationship within about six months. Right. And then he became your stepdad. Yes. Yes. So he was he was family then. Sorry? He was family then. Yes, he was family. Um having no strong father figure in my life probably didn't help. But later on, I was with a therapist for quite some years and she explained to me that in the initial stages there's quite a lot of grooming that mm. occurred. But mm. I didn't, you know. No, you're a kid. 11, you don't, you don't know this kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> and I was a little country girl, you know, stuck out in the middle of the never. Um, and you didn't, you just. And then one day um, my mum had taken my brother into town. I think he was playing football at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, Tim came to me and he said, I'm not happy with your mum and I'm going to leave her unless you have sex with me. And I cried, um, but he did it anyway. And then he would take advantage of times when she wasn't around. But again, you don't, you're you're young, you don't understand what's happening. Mm -mm. Um, you don't want this man to go away who makes your mum smile and laugh and he makes your brother feel happy and proud and um, he's bringing income in and he's nice to you the rest of the time. It's just that occasionally you have to do these other things that you don't like. Um, And so it would be a couple of times a week maybe, um, up to about five, depending on how often I was for lack of a better word, available to him without anyone else around. And this was at the beginning of, of well, your adolescence. So, you, you well, your body's already going through all this stuff <laughs> that you have, no like, no control over what's happening when puberty starts and it's a, it's a crazy time for everybody and then you've got even less control over your own body. Someone yes. else is invading your body. Yes. And everybody else sees this great guy who's 
saved the family by the sounds of it almost like this facade yep. of he was the the hero and and kind of saved you guys and you, yep i would and he, i can't imagine man who took on a family um you know everyone used to say oh it's so wonderful to see you taking on the children of another man and and committing yourself to a family when you're younger and you could have gone and got your own <laughs> The people just don't really think about what they're saying sometimes. No, they don't. Um, when there's kids around, you know, and as kids we always take in that sort of thing and we can internalise a lot. Mm, mm. Tell me about how did – yeah, you must have felt so alone. Like you, I, I would imagine it, you would – I guess um, – yeah, I would imagine it felt like you couldn't say anything to your mum because you guys didn't have a great relationship and if – she was happy with him what sort of evidence would you have that she would support you and that was my worry they were happy and I basically just wanted to enjoy that when she was happy life was always much better in the house <laughs> wow. um, so, so yeah I, I gained this this happiness of of family and my mother and stuff I, but I had to make these awful payments in return again though you don't really understand it and he did a quite well mental number on me um after it had started and I said to him that I didn't want to do it anymore you know I don't want this to happen and he said well I will leave you all and then if I leave you all the only way your mum will be able to make money is if she prostitutes you out to other men and so when you're hearing things like this, well, it's kind of like a, if I'm going to have to do it with someone else, you know, you might as well just stick with what you've got, if you know what I mean. Better the devil you know. Yes, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And it took me many, many years to gain the courage to actually make him stop doing it. Yeah, how'd you do that? I had tried to leave a couple of times and ended up having to keep coming back because I, I had no income. I was very, very young, obviously. Mm. And so I'd run away a couple of times and then I'd had to come back and it would continue. And finally I just got to the stage where I was like, well, I don't care if I have to pay my way with my body, if it means I don't have to do this with you anymore. So I said to him, no, you go. We don't need you. I can look after them. I can provide for them, even if it means that I have to pay with my body. But uh, he didn't leave. <laughs> he didn't go. And he didn't tell them. And I couldn't at that point. He had basically had me believing that it wasn't wrong that what was happening, that we were having an affair and that my mum wouldn't love me anymore if I tried to tell her what was happening because I was a willing participant. Oh. So it very much had the gift of the gab. Mm. And there were several things, just little things like that, though, that just made me pause. If I didn't have my mum, what did I have? If I left my family, would he then start preying on my brother maybe? I'd, I wasn't sure. Um, so... Yeah, it's exactly what you said before. It was better the devil I knew. And then I 
<laughs> I met a truck driver <laughs> and I left for good, but I I then chose to take on um, physical abuse over sexual abuse. Um, Scrub was a drug addict, <laughs> and it wasn't something that you realised when you were only 16, um, that that kind of thing was happening. So I gave up <laughs> being sexually abused for being physically abused and drugged. Oh. Years before I... Um, could walk away from all that it took so long for me to just decide that I wasn't going to do drugs anymore and I wasn't going to live that life so and unfortunately culminated in me having to go back to my parents house and stay there for six months because I had no money I'd I'd walked away from this man who I built a home with and everything and um I walked away with the clothes I was wearing just so that I could get out so I could go (laughs) So um, that was the decline of basically our familial relationship at that point because the second night I was there, um, mum was like back from work and Tim decided he would try and put it on me. And, and how, went, how old were you? No, how old were you at this point? Happening. I will tell her. I will tell the police. I will tell everyone if you don't leave me alone. And so he whinged constantly then about me being in the house. Um, he made it very hard for me to be there. Um, he kept saying things like I wasn't putting enough into the house even though I was cooking most of the meals, doing lots of cleaning and stuff. I definitely wasn't being lazy. But he would just complain constantly and things like that. Whereas we'd never had that sort of issue before because obviously he was getting what he wanted. So how old were you when you went back yes, to the house? By that time, I think I was 16 and a half. Okay. So you were still a kid. Yes, I was still a kid, um, but the the problem was the drugs. At that point, I could get off and then something would happen and you would go back, you know, because it, it numbs everything. It stops the voices in your head. It stops the way you're feeling. And so that was something that really impacted me um, and something that I, I definitely had a lot of trouble with. It was the way I coped. I suppose you'd say. What were you using? And so, um, well, when I was in the truck, we, we used to take a lot of speed. Okay. But mostly after I got out of that situation, it was just marijuana. I used to smoke a lot of weed. Okay. And it helped? But, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky <laughs> that I'm petrified of needles. Um, <laughs> because although I've been offered from time to time, I was always like, no way, you're not coming anywhere near me with any needles. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm so scared of needles, I don't even have a tattoo. <laughs> it's a different kind of needle, I promise. <laughs> but um, it, it's the only good thing, you know, because of that being afraid, so afraid of needles, I did, I was able to stay away from the harder stuff that, some people can't ever recover from. Mm. Yeah. So tell me, thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. Tell me about how, what you experienced as a, as a teenager um, impacted on you. You, you. you started talking about how you, you, you were using drugs to cope and it was numbing everything. 
what was happening? What was some of the other stuff that was, um, how was it manifesting? I couldn't hold a conversation. Okay. I couldn't be social. Um, I had very few friends and of those, most of them took drugs. Mm. So it was more like a, it was more like a, a kinship more than a friendship. Um, I obviously was trying to stay away from my family. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very alone. Um, and I lived a party lifestyle. I had friends when I could be confident on the drugs. When I wasn't taking drugs, though, I became very, very antisocial. I didn't want to go out. I didn't like to shop. Um, I didn't like to go to places where people could see me, basically. Hmm. <laughs> Which I know sounds really dumb because you have to do it, like, every day anyway. No, not at all. But um, – and because of that anxiety and that inability to be able to have confidence, I found it very hard to hold down a job. I found it very hard to study. Mm-hmm. I couldn't keep I couldn't keep a thought in my head for long enough to sort of continue with study. I would start things and then it would only be sort of three to six months and they'd be really difficult. But then I would just be like, no, I can't do this anymore and I would give it up. Mm. Um, so I never, I never finished school till I was thirty-one. Well done. <laughs> I went back and did a course so that I could attain an ATAR equivalency, and I started my degree um, when I was thirty-two. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! <laughs> yes. Well done. But I I really found myself, you know, hanging around with the wrong kind of people because they were all sort of like me. No one liked to draw attention to themselves and if I was being quiet in the corner, no one else really cared. Um, you know, people didn't come over and start trying to talk to you and stuff like that because I think, you know, several of us were probably going through similar things and adolescence is hard enough, isn't it? Yeah, so rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah I got to the point though where I, I realised one day that if I continued down this path, I was A, going to end up with nothing. B, if I did want, because I've always wanted kids, mm. if I did want to have a baby, I was going to have to bring it into this kind of world and I didn't want that. Mm. And C, that I would have to keep going home every time I failed at a job or every time I failed at not being able to study, I would end up back in my mother's spare room. <laughs> oh, that yeah, I that, w- that would be really motivating, I guess. Yeah, yes. I, I see that. I, I get that. That's a good motivator. <laughs> this is yeah. what I don't want, so I'm going to work really hard to go the opposite direction. But it was that realisation, and I mean, after years and years, it took quite a lot, but it was a realisation that I really struggled with. How could I live without the numbing drugs? How could I live with my own brain and the thoughts that would go through my head and the secrets that were held in there? How would they stay there? How could I manage? And then I was at a club one night and I (laughs) turned my eye to a very well-dressed man in lovely black slacks and a blue button-up shirt, you know, very different from my kind, trust me. And, um, <laughs> Not your type? 
Not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, but he, his pants were a bit tight. He had a really cute bottom. And, uh, <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one right there. <laughs> In my Duncan's <laughs> wandered over and made my intentions clear. <laughs> You introduce yourself to his attractive backside. (laughs) (laughs) You make some of your best decisions in the club, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) No. But, yeah, I took him home with me that, that night, which was a bit unusual, but not that unusual, I suppose. And um, <laughs> that's it. We've been together ever since. He never smoked even a cigarette. He's never done any kind of drugs. He does does enjoy some beers and drinking. But um, he's never been to any, into any of that kind of stuff. And that, and for you, was a turning point. My, uh, yeah, it definitely was because I found this person who accepted me just the way I was. And even when I told him about the issues I was having, he said, I can help with that. Six weeks later, when he was posting to Townsville from Toowoomba, where we were both living, um, we were in my mother's shower because I was back at my mum's house in the spare Mm. room. (laughs) And he was living on base, so he'd have to come over when mum and everyone else was out (laughs) so that we could share time together. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we were in my and he said, I said to him, I'm going to miss you when you go. And I was quite worried, actually, because I felt like I accepted the fact that I wasn't going to do drugs anymore and I was going to turn my life around with this, you know, beautiful man. Uh, and I, when he told me he was leaving, I was like, oh, I'm going to miss you when you go. And he said to me, you don't have to. You can come. And I did. So six weeks after meeting, we... We jumped in with both feet, um, drove my car to Townsville instead of the, the flight he was booked on, and we moved in together. Wow. <laughs> that was uh, 15 years ago now. <laughs> and so it's been about that long since I've done drugs. But the journey was very hard. The first 12 months, um, we knew we wanted to be together. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> When we fought, we were both fighting to be together. Mm. But we did, we had several pretty decent fights and arguments, lots of yelling and stuff. And um, Michael basically just said to me one day, he said, I really don't want you to go, but we have to work out a way to live together without fighting all the time. He said, it hurts me. I can't do this. And I told him, it's the only person I'd ever told before then what had happened with Tim and my family and we both cried for about two hours after that and he said we will get there we will make it work and he's never he's never deviated from that no matter how many times he's had to say it he's always said it So 
we, we found a therapist um, and I returned to TAFE and I actually finished something for the first time ever. I spent the 12 months at TAFE while we were living in Townsville and I, I mean, I only come out with like certificate two in business administration, but I had something. I had done it. You did it. Um, yeah, we made it work. And um, we just then, you know, we've lived the military life since then. We've moved several times. But um, I found VVCS just to be, oh, they don't call themselves VVCS anymore. Um, open arms. Open arms now, yeah. That's the one. So I found this to be just absolutely irreplaceable. When I had my son... I really struggled um, to uh, – it was something I never wanted him to have happen in any way, shape or form. And I could barely even let him out of my arms for people to hold him when they were right in front of me. So uh, he was about eight months old and I, um, the GP then diagnosed me postnatal. Mm. And even though I had been seeing counsellors from time to time, you know, we've been, we were thinking that we'd been working with it. Um, by the time we'd moved from Townsville to Sydney, I met a lady out. Well, the the next counsellor that I went to see at VVCS was Sally Schulte out at Ingleburn. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember. The it is. I know. And I actually told her the truth, similar to what we've been talking about, um, that about the things he would say to me and how um, I believed that I had been in a relationship, even though I didn't like it. Um, mentally, as a young girl, you, you, you hang on to these things. And it was her. She, she took a hold of my hands and she said, that is a load of bullshit, Joanne. <laughs> and I went, oh, I burst into tears. <laughs> and I went, what do you mean, you know? Because I, I wasn't sure if she was trying to say what I was trying to tell her was bullshit. And she said, there is no way you had a relationship with that man. He abused you and you were a victim. And I burst into tears a second time, all in five minutes. And she said, but by the time we are done, you won't be a victim anymore. And she turned my life around. She actually, we talked about things on such a deep level. Um, I remembered more things with her than I have with anyone else because I just felt so safe and secure. And she would lead me to where she wanted me to go. You, I understand that now, but I didn't back then. That um, it would co- I would come to the realisation and she would say things like, when I said being in a relationship, she said, no, <laughs> you were abused by a pedophile. So just changing the words, changing that thought pattern actually made so much difference. Mm. I learnt trust with my husband and I learnt forgiveness from Sally Hmm. and I've never looked back. I 
haven't looked back. It was really, really hard. The two years working with her in Sydney, sometimes after a session I would just go home and climb into a vodka bottle and then I would climb into my closet and cry, you know, Mm. and just let it out. You just – I had to get rid of it and I did but it was really, really hard. Yeah. Um, I struggled with guilt during the time frame because I couldn't explain it to Alex. He was so little. But he would see mummy get drunk and cry and he never understood. But I don't you, what can you say to an eighteen month old? No, yeah. <laughs> Nothing. But again, Michael was our saviour. When he knew it was really bad, he would come home from work and he would take Alex out to the park, wear him out, just run him ragged. Yep. Bring him home, give him food and then put him to bed. And then oftentimes he would come scrape me up from wherever I'd ended up. And give me a shower and put me to bed too. He really did save me. And now? How are you now? Um, I still do have trouble from time to time, I must admit. I have struggled mostly since then with um, alcohol. I just, some, if I only have a couple of drinks, it'll be fine. There's no issue, but sometimes I just get unable to stop drinking, maybe is the best word, okay. and I will just get absolutely hammered. I won't be able to act appropriately. Um, I still have trouble in social situations. I have trouble making eye contact, especially with new people, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes I have trouble being intimate with my husband. There can just be certain ways that he might approach me or touch me mm-hmm. and immediately mm-hmm. I'm, Triggered. I can't, some, sometimes I even cry, <laughs> which I'm sure is really hard for him, but he's such an understanding, loving person that it makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Um, and... I do have some trust when it comes to other people with my kids, but I'm not very trusting. Mm. I I can't use babysitters. Yeah. <coughs> if someone's going to look after my kids, it's either got to be a family member or a friend I've known for at least 12 months and spent a lot of time with. Yeah. Usually they have their own kids. <coughs> I have... I must admit I judge adults these days based on their children. If they are happy, healthy-looking children who have um, fun and can play on their own or, you know, in a group and stuff, I'm much more relaxed with people like that. Yep. When I meet people who have children... And, and obviously there's a lot of different reasons, but if they're quite shy and timid, if they hide behind things or they won't go to certain types of people, I really find myself to be quite guarded with them. Mm. And I would never leave my kids with someone like that. Yep. And it just... I don't even know if it will make a difference. You know, statistics these days are brutal. Mm. 
I must admit I have to try not to think about them. But it does give me anxiety. Sometimes just I hop in the car and I go and drive past my son's school. I don't go in. But um, I do I do suffer a bit from anxiety and I can get quite depressed from time to time. Which is a really common fallout from a really common symptom of the kind of abuse that you suffered as a child, you know, and, and being gentle with yourself is so important. I think that we lose that a lot. We, we think we have to be big and tough and strong and all of these things to all these people when sometimes it's okay to go, you know what, I just need to rest right now. I need a brain break. I need to be gentle and that looks like, you know, f- for some some days when you know it's COVID right now some days I need to work from home and wear slippers because that's what I need to do to be gentle today um yeah yeah so I'm 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 gonna have to wrap it up in a sec but I'm dying to know how is your degree going it's on hold at the moment you did see my beautiful little girl I did Um, congratulations she only came into our lives about 15 months ago when we were moving down here to Adelaide, I, I blamed it on the move. I was so stressed because, you know, toll. Yeah. Oh. And <laughs> I was so stressed that I'd made myself sick and I was blaming it on that. And then we got down here, we'd moved into the house, things should have settled down. And I went into the GP one day and I said, look, something's going on. <laughs> and she said, well, Yes, it is. <laughs> I think we're going to do a pregnancy test. And I went, oh, no, it can't be that. I'm like, no, no, there's, there's we all no, say uh, that, don't we? We're all like, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> it's not <laughs> <Which> possible. <laughs> um, and the only thing I can be grateful for is that I went to the GP after New Year's. <laughs> so, so it was literally three days later and I'm like, you can't be serious. I'm pregnant. And she's going, yes. Yeah, you are. And I'm like, no, no, I got drunk three days ago, like trashed three days ago. <laughs> and she's like, there's actually no evidence that uh, drinking in the very early stages of pregnancy will affect the fetus, but I suggest you discuss it with your obstetrician. So there you go. And then I just, <clears throat> the pregnancy was really, really rough. Mm. The second time around, I was really sick. So we put uni on hold. Yep. Good plan. Yeah, and so knowing that she's going to be the last, I've left it on hold and I'm going to spend another 12 months at home with her first. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this one. <laughs> Good. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. Are you enjoying it? Do, what to do, yes. Yes, she's a beautiful little girl. Um, she's very caring and loving. Mm. And, yeah, it's so fun to just watch them grow and be. Yeah. And and be happy, be their safe place. That's the best part about it, I suppose. That's awesome. But yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been amazing and and I could keep talking to you for another hour, but uh, my editor is pointing fingers at me going, "You need to hurry up." So, I will let yes. you go. <laughs> but again, thank you. thank you for sharing and I will talk to you really really soon. It's been amazing. Thank you for joining me for The Trauma Tales. A new episode will be released every fortnight. 
and they will cover all areas and topics where trauma has occurred. I'm really looking forward to sharing these with you. If you'd like to follow our social pages, the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think. If this episode of The Trauma Tales has impacted on you, please contact one of the following resources. Lifeline, Kids Helpline, 1-800-RESPECT, Men's Helpline. The contact details for each of these are in the show notes. Or if you would like to contact us to share your story on our podcast, or if you want to sponsor our show, please email us at thetraumatales, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com.